Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child using the method of catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I'm your host, Carrie Mecki Lozano. I am very excited to be here with you guys today. The topic is wonderful. I have Ann Garrido who has joined us on the podcast again. She is going to help us understand who is Eugenio Zoli, who was one of the theologians who had a direct influence on Sofia Cavaletti and actually taught her and mentored her in the 1950s. And so Anne's going to tell us about Zoli, who he was, his own story, but also with his relationship with Sophia, and then directly into our work into Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. It's wonderful and beautiful and helps us understand our roots, our heritage in CGS. I hope you enjoy. Welcome Anne back to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. Oh, Carrie, thank you for having me back again. <laughs> and um, for anybody who hasn't listened to the previous episode that we have been graced with your presence, would you please tell us a little bit about who you are? Oh, sure. Um, so I'm Ann Garrido. I am an associate professor at Aquinas Institute of Theology in St. Louis, Missouri, where I've been affiliated with the master's program um, that we have in pastoral studies for catechesis of the Good Shepherd. And I've been a catechist myself now for over 25 years. So uh, this topic that we're going to talk about today is one that's been an interest of mine for a very long time. Yeah, I am so excited about this topic. So 10 years ago, I know it was 10 years ago because I was pregnant with my son, Jackson, and that's how I, you know, seem to see time. And I was a part, I, I might have been the first heritage course that y'all did at Aquinas. I think that's true. Does that sound about right? Yes, I think that's true. This is when I first heard about Zoli and learned about his contributions to Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. So I am really excited to kind of get a refresher course from my professor right now about Zoli because he's a really fascinating person and I'm excited. He is. He's a fascinating and complex person with really significant um, impact on the way that Catechesis of the Good Shepherd has developed over time. Yeah, yeah. And I find that knowing about these people who had contributions to Sophia and Gianna, I found for myself at least that it made what we do in catechesis more full. Like you saw like a bigger picture, but you also saw like this uh, golden thread, like what we speak about yeah. through all these different minds and it leading to the child. It, it was really beautiful to dive into these different um, theologians. Well, I agree. I think one of the things I remember from my very first formation course myself was the idea that, you know, Maria Montessori was a servant in a long line of servants, um, right. that none of us are doing any of this entirely on our own, like our own personal genius, but we're in collaboration with lots of fellow people. And that Sophia also, you know, was, was a servant in a long line of servants. And she was in contact with and influenced by and, you know, collaborated with lots of diverse people, all of whom had a little bit of impact in the way that she thought and that she worked with children. Right, right. In learning about that, I find a lot of humanity in her. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes, especially with anybody we who is a beloved of ours who has passed away, we tend to um, put them on a much higher pedestal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I think that Sophia is deserving so much of that. But I love that the humanity that we see by learning of the people who influenced her, of the people who taught her, of the people who 
showed her different ways of looking at things that we then have learned from her. It just, it very much shows her humanity. I love that. Yeah. And I think she'd be excited to know that, that we were going to talk about Eugenia Zoli as well. Yeah. Well, tell me, can you tell us a little bit about who Eugenio Zoli is? So Zoli, uh, Eugenio Zoli was not originally his name at birth. Uh, he was born Israel Zoller in 1881 in an area, a historically Jewish area of Brody that, that now would be part of Western Ukraine. Um, so one of those places that right now we kind of be hearing about on the news. Right. And he was raised in a very devout Jewish family, one of many generations of rabbis. And, and from very early on in his youth, we know that he was drawn to both kind of that mystical dimension of Judaism and also the strong scholarly bent that has lived within Judaism for so long. We also know from his own testimony about his own life that he, even at a very young age, had an attraction to um, Jesus and that he records an a incident even when he was a young child of seeing a crucifix and, and having a lot of questions around it and being moved by that image. So when he grew up, he followed his scholarly bent. He ended up getting a, a PhD in philosophy from the University of Florence, but he also followed that more mystical bent as well. And he, he studied his own tradition deeply, became a rabbi, um, served as a rabbi in Trieste, and then also um, taught in Padua, and then eventually ended up becoming the rabbi of Rome. Now, I should say that by this time, as he was moving through his own life journey, again, he was doing a lot of really interesting research. Um, in 1938, he published a book that was called uh, The Nazarene. And even while he was still serving as a rabbi in his community, he was interested in looking at the person of Jesus in his Jewishness. So mm -hmm. at a time, in the, especially in the area where he was living, kind of right between Germany and Italy, there was a real effort to, what we could say, Aryanize Jesus, like to make him not Jewish, um, to always mm. portray Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes, and to deny his Jewishness or to contrast Jesus's teaching against the Jewish people, like to see him as a rebel against Judaism. Mm. Zoli from very early on was really interested in looking at Jesus as a Jewish figure and looking at him in line of continuity with the Jewish tradition. And so even when he was a rabbi, he had begun to write about Jesus in this way. When he ended, when he moved to Rome, and I should say by this point in time, he had changed his last name from Zoller to Zoli in order to fit in a little bit better in an Italian context. Um, and he became the chief rabbi, actually, of the Jewish community in Rome. And it probably was never a really good fit for him. Um, he probably was, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of having a, a religious leader in your life who is probably of a little bit more of an academic bent and maybe not as interested in the, all the pastoral politics of being mm -hmm. in a community. Mm -hmm. So he, I think he always was a little bit more scholarly and so forth. So 
There was always a little bit of tension between him and the congregation that he was trying to lead, but he also was there in a very, very difficult time. So he had come over, you know, from Ukraine, Poland, and then right at the edge of the border of Italy that was with Germany and Slovenia. And he had seen some of what was going on with Nazism in that part of Europe and saw it as gravely dangerous. And at that time, Italy maybe wasn't taking that threat quite as seriously. Um, and what ended up happening was that when the Nazis moved into, into Italy, um, he ended up going into hiding and finding shelter um, with some Catholic families in Italy. And much of his community that he was caring for, um, many of the Jews there were persecuted, even lost their life during that time. And when Italy was uh, liberated from the Nazis, so now that we're now we're talking, you know, in the mid 1940s, um, he was reinstated as the chief rabbi in Rome at that time. But there was ever increased tension with his community. And Zoli at that point in time was beginning to have even more, you might say, more profound mystical experiences. And he records himself that in on the feast of uh, Yom Kippur in 1944, when he was uh, actually presiding at the high holy days within his community, he felt a very, very strong call internally that just said, this is the last time that you'll be doing this. And he decided to make a real leap at that point in time. And he and his wife, Emma, um, decided to be baptized as Catholics in February of 1945. After that, you know, he lived the rest of his life a little bit in kind of a, a limbo. Um, his conversion really stunned and was experienced as very hurtful by the Jewish community in Rome. Um, they actually sat Shiva for him, almost like, you know, like he, like he had died to them. Um, mm. And at the same time, uh, as he was welcomed into the Catholic community, he also had kind of a hard time finding a scholarly home there, again, because of his deep interest in the Jewishness of Jesus and the kind of research that he was doing um, that was unfamiliar at that point in time. He lived, uh, he and Emma lived the remainder of their lives in, at the Greg, the Gregorian University in Rome. Uh, he ended up teaching at La Sapienza, the University of Rome, and for the Pontifical Biblical Institute. He found some community with the Jesuits there. Um, and for the rest of his life, he was, he was doing a little bit of teaching, um, but I think really continued to struggle to figure out how to how to live in the space between um, the the two communities. Yeah, I can imagine that that was incredibly difficult. Yeah. So then, when did he meet Sophia? So when he was teaching, as far as I can tell, when he was teaching at La Sapienza, Sophia had gone to study there. And she met Zoli, and Zoli very quickly became a mentor to her. So she was kind of like his, I think, research assistant or his teaching assistant. She was his assistant from 1948 to 1952. So if he had um, entered fully into the Catholic tradition in 1945, 
Um, this would have been about three years after that when he was teaching at La Sapienza and she did her doctoral degree in Hebrew and comparative Semitic literature there. And then she ended up staying on for an additional specialization in philology and culture and history of ancient Semitic peoples. I know that sounds like a lot of really big language, doesn't it? <laughs> Those are big words. It was like, yeah. I can't even say the name of the title that she of the degree she got, let alone understand what it is that she studied. <laughs> well, and remember, at that time, women weren't really welcomed in to study theology. And so this mm. was studying the, the Hebrew language and culture and ancient Semitic peoples really was studying what we would call Old Testament, right? But she wasn't, I mean, officially she wasn't able to study scripture. And so she's studying um, the background of all of it. And really clearly what right. she was studying was, was you know, she was getting a degree in what we would now be like a, a PhD in Old Testament studies. Um, right. But she was studying under Zoli at that time. And they, he would have been at that point about 67. She would have been about 31. Um, but what he's really teaching her is how to read the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures, in uh, through a Jewish interpretive lens, which would have been quite different than what would have happened if she'd been studying, let's just say, at a Catholic seminary at that point in time. So this is so beautiful. This is the part I really love because you can start seeing Zoli's influence in what we do in Catechesis Good Shepherd, how it's opened all of our eyes to how we look at scripture. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I think there's a couple of different ways that we could really say that, that Zoli shaped Sophia's development as a scripture scholar, um, mm -hmm. obviously through their friendship first, but then especially his rabbinical way of reading the text. Within Judaism, um, the text is something that is meant to be discussed, argued, have conversation about. So it's not perceived in sort of a like, okay, so here's a story Jesus told and here's what it meant. Instead, within the more rabbinical way of reading scripture, you enter and you read the story. It's like, well, so what does this mean? And it's, there's a multiplicity of different meanings and everybody's voice is able to say something in there. There's a deep study of the words of the text. Well, why does it say this and not this? So mm -hmm. a deep reading word by word, sentence by sentence of the text and exploring it in dialogue and conversation with each other. I think that's one of the very first ways. And we do that with children even from the age of three, right? To take right. the text mm -hmm. really seriously and to keep saying, is this in the text? Well, what does the text say? Well, what's the actual word here? I think that's one of the definite ways that we were influenced by Zoli. Right. I always imagine that first encounter that Sophia had with those children, her friend's children that wanted help with sacrament preparation. And she sat down and opened Genesis 1 with them. And they sat there for two hours with her that this is what she did. Right with them and the children were so enthralled with being included in the conversation rather than being taught at that that's what drew them in and they didn't want to leave they found a deep respect but also a deep um, interest in the subject because they were being included it wasn't yes. just being that like formulaism so well and learning by asking questions right rather than making statements yeah. an excellent rabbi asks what the gift is to be able to have the gift of really being able to ask great evocative questions and clearly Sophia embodied that in her own teaching as well. Mm -hmm. There's another way though that I would want to lift up that I think Zoli really influenced Sophia um, was that she also inherited his deep sense of a continuity 
between what we would call as Christians the Old Testament and the New Testament. That in contrast mm. to the way that Jesus had been talked about, you know, kind of by a lot of scholars before the Second World War, that, you know, there was the old and then there was this radical break and then there's the new. There's the Old Testament God and then there's the God that we meet who's the New Testament God. Um, like Zoli, Sophia saw, oh no, there is one God, right? And that the whole mm -hmm. of the Bible is one story and that, is, that it's written by many, many different human hands over a vast period of time, but that it's the same God in both Testaments and that Jesus doesn't stand in stark contrast to his tradition, but in deep lineage with his tradition. And that we can't really understand Jesus unless we also really understand and appreciate and value his Jewish heritage. And mm -hmm. so I think that that deep valuing of the Old Testament that so comes alive, especially in our level three studies with children, I think we could also trace that back to Zoli as well. I am so appreciative of all of this because I remember, I don't know about you, Anne, but the way I was taught, like my old CCD classes and stuff growing up, it was very much like, you know, there was the Old Testament God and New Testament God kind of mentality. Of course, that was not explicitly said like that, but um, that was definitely the mentality I had. There was like the way that humans looked at God then and now the way that humans look at God now kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. And my formation, especially level three, but all three levels of um, Catechese of Good Shepherd, I love this idea of that golden thread, the, that Jesus is the fulfillment of what's been happening since creation, not like you just said, not the contrast of what's been happening since creation. It's mm -hmm. it's so beautiful and fuller, and it, 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 all, it just kind of like fits like a puzzle in my brain, I guess. And that it doesn't end with, with Jesus in the sense mm. that both Jews and Christians together continue to long for a fullness of the kingdom of God that has yet to be realized in our time. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so it used to be even that the way that we would talk about typology, which is a really big theme, right, in the history of the church and, and in CGS as well, was what Sophia would end up later calling two-stage typology, that the new replaced the old and that the old didn't matter anymore. Like, you know, first there was the temple, but now there's the church. Or first there was that Jesus is the replacement, you know, or the, you know, it was the people of Israel and now we don't need that anymore. You know, that right. what Sophia and I think probably from Zoli is that, no, the way that we're going to do typology is three stage, which is to say that there was a moment and the, there's an original moment. There's a way that we see it um, as Christians ever more clearly in the light of our experience of Jesus Christ, but that together with our Jewish brothers and sisters, there's a moment in history that is yet to come that we are still waiting for and longing for. And that the, that that's the same God that's all the way throughout who's working within both of our traditions for this parousia, you know, or the tikkum olam, the healing of the earth um, that mm -hmm. both of us are striving together for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like instead of putting one on top of the other, they're, it's laying down right next to each other as one complete story. Mm -hmm. mm, and we have Zoli to thank for that in our work in Catechese Good Shepherd. We do. And I would like to say, I know as much as Sophia considered him her master teacher, 
You know, I want to say that I think also Sophia had a profound effect on Zoli. Um, in the mm. closing years of his life, he ended up writing down his story because his story was there were so many different people who interpreted the events of his life in so many different ways. You know, he was a figure that was in the news, obviously, because this was a really significant event that the chief rabbi of Rome had ended up um, becoming Catholic. And there were so many different interpretations of that event and what happened. And uh, in the beginning, so toward the end of his life, Zoli sat down and wrote his own autobiography to tell the story from his own perspective. And that was, uh, it was written, it was actually not published originally in Italy. It was published originally in, in English. It's called Before the Dawn. And in the beginning of that book, what you'll find is that he mentions Sophia there as his friend and someone who encouraged him to actually write his life story and tell you know everything that had happened from his own perspective and he gives he gives credit to Sophia for helping him I, I think you know find his voice to be able to articulate his faith journey um, in the way that you know he to be able to tell the story for himself and that book is still mm -hmm. in print for a little while it was out of print but that now is available to us as well uh, to be able to read before the dawn and and I should also say the Nazarene that book he wrote so long ago that was the beginning of so much controversy in 1938, that has now been translated um, and is available again in English as well for people who would like to kind of see his scholarly work of that time in his life. I haven't read The Nazarene yet, but that it sounds so fascinating. I want to get my hands on it. But I have read Before the Dawn, and his story is so beautiful. It's You can definitely see that he is a mystic yes. and that the Holy Spirit was guiding his heart from a very, very young age and what God had planned for him. So I am so grateful that Sophia encouraged him to write that book because it's a testimony to us, but also so that we can hear um, the truth in his story, because otherwise we would be hearing almost like the news, you know, you're going to be hearing multiple different sides of a story. Yeah. And so we get this firsthand autobiographical text of him telling his own story. It's such a gift, yes. such a gift. He also was involved a little bit in her atria as well, correct? He was. Uh, we do know that from her atrium journals from the very first years. So there, one of her journal entries from 1980, uh, not 1955, she already mentions that she was bringing him into the atrium. So if the atrium was really getting launched around 1954, already in the first year, she was inviting him to speak with the children about the Jewish prophets um, and there's oh also mentioned that he was present at the very first first communion retreat. So clearly he she he was somebody that she wanted to wrap more deeply into atrium life. What's a little bit sad is that actually uh, he died in 1956. So he died very shortly after the atrium was founded. Um, he uh, he contracted pneumonia and, and died in, at the age of about 74. It's interesting to think, you know, would Sophia's life have been different if Zoli had continued to live? Would right. her life have been more in that academic track? I, I don't know. But um, clearly he was he was there at our beginnings as a movement and yeah. had a voice in that. What lucky children did they they got to learn from such amazing people yes. at the very beginning, these children. That's that's so awesome. And then so how is he looked at today? That's a great question. You know, I think there's been a real resurgence of interest in him again as a figure. After his conversion, I think he very quickly kind of faded from public view. 
Um, mm-hmm. But when the book Before the Dawn got uh, republished again, and then actually it got translated into Italian for the first time in 2004. That's a long time after. And that it, is a long time. It became a bestseller in Italy for a short period of time. Um, wow. And then in 2008 was when Ignatius Press did another print of it for the English and another English translation because it had kind of gotten out of print in English as well. And that led to then the desire to print the Nazarene book in English in 2010. So there's more interest in him, I would say, again, now uh, within the academic community. Um, and definitely some of the work that he did around looking at the continuity of Judaism and Christianity rather than this mm-hmm. kind of like stark contrast between the two. Mm-hmm. I think that finds much more favor now in the academic community. And there's more and more mm-hmm. interest in um, understanding Jesus in the context of Judaism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, didn't Sophia work in like Christian Judeo uh, relations? Yeah, no, that is true. That was really where her, it was one of her great passions in life. In addition with the catechesis of the Good Shepherd, she was very active in, um, in a religious dialogue between Jews and Christians throughout all of her life. And Zoli was part of that community too. Yeah. So I can only imagine her relationship with him really shaped her views of all of that. And in doing so, shaped so many of us as well, because it very much, like I, I imagine like the history of the Jewish people timeline that we have in our level three atria and the deep respect for the Jewish, our Jewish brothers and sisters that you see on that timeline, that we are on the path together towards parousia not one is right, one is wrong mentality. It is very much we are brothers and sisters on a path together. Yeah, for the healing of the earth. And that day when yeah. God will be, hopefully, what we would say, all in all. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Zoli. Thank you, Zoli, for that contribution. I am so grateful to him. And is there anything else about Zoli that you would like to lift up before we finish up today? Oh, I think that um, he was someone who we can really treasure in our tradition. I'm grateful to you for giving the chance for us to talk about him and for us to study him more and to learn more from his story. Mm. Well, there's the two texts that you lifted up of Before the Dawn and the Nazarene. And then also in our book, Ways of Holy Joy, Sophia speaks about him um, as well on page... Let's see, I, 62, 63, and I think going on to 64, she, she's telling a little bit of her story, and she speaks about Zoli there yes. and his contributions to her life as well. So those are just some resources. Are there any other resources that people could um, to look at if they're interested in this topic a little bit more? Um, maybe the year with Sophia Cavalletti. We have a chapter of him in there, and we've included yeah. some of the, I would say, some of the richest um, passages from Before the Dawn and a couple from the Nazarene as well, if you wanted a taste Perfect. of those works. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you, Anne. Thank you so much for sharing his story with us and for coming on the podcast again. I really appreciate you. Carrie, I appreciate you too. Thank you for all you're doing. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. In our show notes, I have a few little gifts for you. There are links to Anne Garrido's different books. She has Preaching with Children, which we had an episode on back in February. She also wrote the book A Year with Sophia Cavaletti, which she spoke about in this episode. And it's a really neat daily book that gives you a lot of the heritage that we have in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. So check that link out. And also wrote a book called Let's Talk About Truth that I have a link for in our show notes as well as her website. 
I'm also going to put a link to Way of Holy Joy, which we spoke about as well. And I'd love to read to you a little excerpt from that book where she speaks about Zoli. Sophia says, For the Bible, I had a master teacher, Eugenio Zoli, from whom I learned directly and who opened to me a new way of reading the Bible. With Zoli, the Bible began to open totally new horizons for me. I came to discover a profundity of multiplicity of meaning in the Bible that I had never imagined. I came to realize the enormous value of the Old Testament, not only in relation to the New Testament, but in itself. I came to discover what Augustine calls the golden thread. That is, the constant presence of God, of God's plan, in which all the events are linked together, one to the other, in their movement forward to the fullness that all are looking forward. There's a lot of beautiful wealth there. And if you are interested in reading more about Zoli, you can go check out the books that Anne spoke about, the Nazarene, as well as his book, Before the Dawn. This week, we would like to lift up our benefactor member, Mustard Seed Training, which is a small group of home-based Christian artisans in Northeast Ohio who make beautiful materials for our atria. So check out some information about them in our show notes. We also have a link to their website where you can see more. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. If you would like to learn more about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or if you would like to become a member and support our work, and also have access to member-only content on our website, go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for listening this week. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.